I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program reality. Welcome everyone to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Graham Tallman, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in virtual reality. We record our episodes live in Altspace every week, and you can join us from your PC or VR headset. Just log into Altspace, join our Simulation Nation channel, and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. As for today, we are very excited to have our seventh installment of our world Builders of Alt Space series. That's World Builders of Alt Space series. This time we are with the immaculately detailed, super stylish metaverse of Taija Suko. Taija Suko has not only developed some of the most pristine high-end worlds, but he also created an elaborate mythology that connects them all together in two different eras, uh, which I could figure out. Maybe there's more. And we will try to break it all down with him here. So everybody, please give the master of style and substance... Tajasuka, a warm emoji welcome. Uh, hello. <laughs> that's a great, isn't that a great view? That's a, that's a, that's a pretty nice view. We got St. Justin, uh, Kalista Dodd, Veronica, Bob's, Khalil, Tony from New Jersey, Troy, I mean, I can't even, Maddie Boy, and a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people here to see you. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Everyone's here. <laughs> Hi. Everybody's here. It's all old space royalty here to see you, Tajasuka. So, so, uh, so thank you so much for coming. Why don't you tell everyone where you are right now? Sure. Um, so I am in Jakarta, Indonesia right now. And um, yeah, it is 9.38 a.m. for me. <laughs> so it's actually it's a, very, it's a very good time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like time traveling because for anyone in the U.S., it's, it's Friday evening. And for you, it's already Saturday morning. So it's like you are a man of the future. Always. <laughs> Even in meat space. Well, I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's really weird keeping up with the time zones here. Um, I, I I even say sometimes to my friends like, oh yeah, I'll see you in your tonight and my morning. You know, <laughs> it's right. it's that kind of situation. But yeah. I wonder how is that working? Because a lot of people here, everyone who here, uh, give me an emoji if you are in the U.S. right now. Yeah. So this is, a, and is oh, there yeah, anyone everyone. else in, anyone else in Asia? We'll just keep it broad to Asia. Maybe there's a few. Oh yeah. You really, uh, a oh, lot hey. of the people, a, a few people here. Looks like MC Lido is uh, in Asia. MC Lido, where are you? Oh, oh I'm in uh, Osaka, Japan right now. Oh, there oh you nice. Go. Very cool. Oh my God. I oh, love welcome. Osaka. Nice. Glad to have you here. That is very cool. It's very international. Um, so there are some people, but uh, generally speaking, you're dealing with a lot of your friends and people who are in your worlds in a different time zone. How does that work for you? Is that difficult? Do you find a way to make it work? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody makes it work, but um, I mean, uh, usually when my worlds are packed full of people, I'm usually asleep. <laughs> I guess. But when I do uh, come in, I guess uh, I found that uh, coming in here in the early mornings is actually coming in here to most people when it's their evening. So I actually found that, oh, okay, that's actually a lot more manageable for me rather than, you know, staying up late until 2 or 3 a.m. before the next uh, day and <laughs> waking right, up as a zombie right. or something the next yeah. <laughs> Right, right, right. Well, that's good. Yeah, if you're an early bird, then I guess it, 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 it works perfectly for you. Well, thank you so much for coming on your Saturday morning. Um, we're going to talk about your worlds. We're going to talk about your style. And uh, you're going to take us on a bit of a tour afterwards. We're so excited about that. So first, we go back to the beginning, the origin story of Taija Suko, which I don't think is your real name entirely. It's kind of a pseudonym, I guess you'd say. So yeah. how did, how <laughs> but, did Taija Suko... I mean, most people Four. just call me Taja and that's fine. So, so let's start at the beginning. You know, where did you, um, where did you get into your graphic design and how did you get into VR? Ah, well, um, I guess I really loved to scribble and draw since I was very little. Um, but I mean, back then, you know, I always got in trouble in class because, you know, instead of listening to the teacher, I was drawing spaceships and <laughs> cities and all these weird characters and everything. And, um, then, you know, uh, when it came, when the time came for me to decide whether I was going to go into fine art or if I was going to go into graphic design, I was a lot more interested in graphic design because, um, 
there is an artistic side, but there's also a very functional side to it. Um, I was especially interested in designing branding and logos. I, I mean, looking at watching movies, Blade Runner, you know, neon cities saturated with billboards and all these weird symbols and logos everywhere. I just, I, I was so fascinated with that. And I guess that's when I got into graphic design. And then I worked on the side as an illustrator. And now I'm an art director as well. So I guess, yeah, it's a, it's a mixed bag of careers. And apparently I'm a folk attack now, a fake architect in VR. <laughs> Nice. That's a good term. I, you know, it's interesting that you say Blade Runner because when I uh, go through some of your worlds, I think of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the new one. Like, and Denis Villeneuve and you, a very similar style you guys have. I feel like I don't oh, know yeah. if you're a fan of his before Blade Runner, but it feels like you guys would get along from a stylistic point of view. Um, that's cool. So, so then you're an art director at a company in Jakarta. That's your day job. That's pretty amazing. What do yep, you guys my do? Nine to five. So we do a lot of, oh, we're actually a creative consultant in Jakarta. Um, it's called the 1984. Yeah, ominous name, I know. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we do a creative consultancy, but basically everything we do from, uh, we, we do a lot of branding, definitely. Um, we also design social media systems for companies to use in communications, but we've also actually gone into luggage design. So we're pretty much multidisciplinary, but I mean, this day and age, everybody needs to be. Everybody has to be able to do some other thing aside from their primary, from their primary skill set. And yeah, I actually designed luggage wow. <laughs> in a way. Wow. that's pretty crazy. Should bring some luggage into VR. We we don't have any of that in your world yet. I don't think. I haven't seen any. We, <laughs> we got to be creating the avatar luggage. Be the yeah, first. I'll, I'll put a I'll put a suitcase by the door, you know, so I'll help you pack. Right. People say that to me <laughs> in the houses I've built. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's funny. Um, so then, okay. So I guess then from graphic design and art direction to go into VR is not a huge stretch. When did you first um, try VR and check it out? Uh, it was, uh, it was the pandemic. It was actually, oh God, it was February last year, I think. And I remember that um, it was into an event and I met a lot of friends there the first time, but then, um, yeah, that, that was the first time I, I actually got exposed into VR and alt space and, um, it stuck. I, I stayed. <laughs> wow. I'd sure that's the way that's incredible that you're telling me that at the beginning of the pandemic is the first time that you created a world because your worlds are like it, it's oh. so polished and so, uh, detailed. So this has all happened in the last like 12 months or so. It's, um, it was actually April last year when I actually started, um, really, really studying blender and you know, how to use unity and how to upload worlds and everything. Because before that I used the world builder and, and it was fantastic. I, I loved the fact that you didn't have to know, um, all these fancy software to be able to make islands or buildings or spaceships in <laughs> Just, just, it's just incredible. It's a very democratic approach to design. Wow. That's really, that's really impressive. I guess, you know, I, uh, from exploring your worlds, I've seen that you have um, a world that sort of was in the old universe, I guess, the old verse. And it was more yeah. like you were using assets that were in alt space. And then, yeah. like, you took this, like, really quickly, you took this quantum leap from kind of like something that was like low poly and within all space to being like these insane kind of Denis Villeneuve futures. How did that just happen? You got blender, you got into it and you just, you just took to it like a fish to water. Is that what happened? <laughs> well, I, I took it like a fish flopping on land and straying <laughs> around everywhere and then falling into water, I guess. Cause Oh my God, unit made me cry in a fetal position a couple of times, but I finally, managed to figure it out, but yeah, it was, um, I guess uh, because it came to a point where I felt that the world builder as therapeutic as it is, because it's, it's, it's actually very therapeutic. You know, you, you, you are creating a world in VR, you're manifesting things and putting the pieces together, but you know, with my nine to five job and everything, it was also time consuming for me. And I thought, um, after making a flight of stairs that took me like, two days, I thought there's gotta be a faster way to do this, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to need to learn blender and unity 
eventually. And so I did. And as soon as I did that, ooh, wow, it's, um, it opened up a whole new set of possibilities and, you know, how big the scales of the worlds can be and how detailed and how, how I can play with perspective and kind of set moods in each and every corner of places that I've built. So yeah, it was, um, it was definitely a motivation to immediately pick this up. Right. Wow. That's, that's really cool. So I don't want, I won't get into all that. I've got some slides that'll show uh, some of your worlds and we can talk about the lighting and all of that kind of stuff. I won't get into that now because uh, it, it is really impressive though. But so, um, so that's, so, so you don't have any, you're not, you're not in the outside world. You're not involved in, in game or anything like that, or you don't, you just are alt space and you create worlds here and that's pretty much the extent of it. Or do you do other things in VR? Well, I'm a gamer, but <laughs> I've never been involved in game and gaming development. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been mostly in 2d actually. And, and, uh, April last year, and thanks to Altspace, I've actually gone into 3d. So it was pretty interesting, a nice pandemic skill to pick up. Cool. Oh, I'd say that's that's pretty amazing. Well, let's give it up for uh, Tajasuka's talent in the last eight, uh, few months. That's pretty incredible. Uh, I, so I did a little digging. I did a little sleuthing, and I did discover you have another project, which uh, oh. you 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 somehow left out of your origin story, <laughs> but is a uh, very I, incredible. I left that out. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a you just graphic left novel. Out, oh, you just happened to leave out a graphic novel that you wrote. I can't it's a sci-fi that. world. Yeah, it's, it's only uh, book one. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, could you, you tell us about this, uh, this book? Yeah, it's... Um, so, yeah, I'm a published author as well. <laughs> and, um, this is, uh, this is actually the second book that I've, uh, that I've published through, through, um, it's a, it's an indie publishing company in Jakarta called Binatang Press, uh, which literally means animal press in my language. And, uh, it's a book that's printed in risograph and I illustrated, wrote and laid out the book. Um, it's yeah. actually based on a short story that I wrote long ago. Uh, it's kind of like a twisted fairy tale. And, um, I was, I was just going through, through my list of short stories and I thought, ah, oh, this one actually has potential. And I just started, well, I guess, uh, he, he, here's where the world building in alt space makes sense. Usually when I write a story, I always build the world first because the world mm. always creates the characters at the end. And it just developed into this whole mythology of, um, of this world and um and why are the the characters why are there no humans and why are the characters animals in there and you know why is there an undercurrent of magic but also a hint of high technology going in there and uh yeah it's um it was very interesting writing it because i didn't want to write it with uh people in there because i'm carrying a lot of very sensitive topics uh there's apartheid the story as well mm. and you know if you write a story with humans um, a lot of people are going to get sensitive and they're they, they're not able to disconnect themselves from the characters and whatever is going on with them so yeah it's um it's a very interesting uh, project and i am way overdue for my second draft <laughs> of, the of, your second, of your second book <laughs> right 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 yes so, my publisher is blowing up my phone but yeah <laughs> nice so before I'm in here we... in all space instead of writing <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, okay. Before we uh, let you go today, we'll have to find out where people can buy it, and we'll have to put a link in uh, in the podcast so that people can purchase it. Um, it's it's available to be uh, to purchase. It's it's available to to purchase, and um, the publisher is figuring out ways to better ship it overseas because um, right now in the country, yeah, it's it's a little bit uh, tricky. But yeah, mostly we sell in the domestic market. But we do have Not stockists it. in Singapore. <laughs> Got it. Okay. All right. Well, maybe our friend in Osaka, maybe he could, he can get some contraband copies for us or something like that. All right. So um, I'm going to find out about your process here because it, clearly you're doing things with graphic design and story, and then you're sort of bringing that into 3D here. And I, I as I was sort of exploring your worlds, I found this interesting uh, quote, which you wrote, the universe has no obligation to <laughs> Yes. But uh, uh, but we are going to oh, try yeah, to make was... sense of you tonight, Tajasuka. So we're gonna we're gonna go against Neil deGrasse Tyson, and hopefully you can uh, make sense <laughs> of your world. 
Oh yeah, I um yeah, this is the Scarlet Monarch and it was the first world that I built with Unity and Blender from scratch because I'm that ambitious and I always trap myself into large projects. But uh <laughs> I I, yeah. I I remember that I decided to put this quote, this Neil deGrasse Tyson quote on the plaque of the ship. Because it was I guess it was an inside joke for me because uh, you know, uh back in my world builder worlds I had all these weird things and everything. And then people always kept asking, Oh, why is it this way? Why is it that way? Now that, well, um, the universe has no obligation to make sense to you. And so do I, you know, <laughs> right. Right, right, right. and I, it's such a, it's such a good quote, you know, because that that's what the universe is. It has no obligation to make sense to you. It just is. It just, right. it is what right. it is. Absolutely. Uh, but, but hopefully we could, we could, you could give us, uh, uh, some, some logic to your world. So how, so you said that sometimes it's, you spend days on, uh, staircases. How long does it take you to put one of these worlds together? It feels like you go into a lot of detail. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I guess the Scarlet Monarch took me about three months to completely finish. Uh, but, but usually it's always like that. I, I, I start with the, with the general shape and then I start dividing the interiors and then I start putting in the furniture and the details. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a long process, but I guess this one took a really long time because I was still learning and I didn't understand a lot of things back then. But I mean, as things progressed, I kind of figured out my workflow already and i've already created my own sort of stock assets of objects that i can always populate the world in and create new stuff on the fly so uh, progressively worlds become faster and faster to build for me and because i keep them all in the same universe um they can all share the same aesthetic and the same assets and everything so yep this was ooh, this was ambitious <laughs> this was really yeah. ambitious this one yeah, absolutely. So, so you're saying basically you're saying that most of your ideas start with a visual idea and then you build the mythology around that. Would that be fair to say? I, I do think, I do also think you have a very specific voice. Like I can see, you know, what style you have. They sort of permeate through all your different worlds that this is very much a, has just like a style. So the, is that sort of the first inspiration and then the mythology comes later? The, the visual style definitely was, uh, set during the Scarlet Monarch. And I guess while I was building it, uh, because, because the ship itself was actually an old asset, that was, um, that was something that I was fooling around with in Blender before I had an actual application to put it into VR. And I decided to kind of divide the interior and everything. But then I started to wonder, you know, um, why not have trees in the ship? Why not have it, um, you know, have it look like there's a garden or or some kind of weird things going on and make it interesting and from there the mythology actually evolved like um mm. maybe this is a very advanced galactic level civilization um it also shares its universe with cosmic horrors and deities and all these weird things uh magic exists in this world even though it's in the far future and I guess from there, things just kind of evolved. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, oh, you know, I guess a world, a universe like this would have um, strange castles in the middle of a glass desert with giants around in them. And it's a magic school and stuff. And, you know, the, the mythology helped me uh, to create the worlds following it afterwards. Right. Yeah, so it sort of intermixes, I guess, uh, it's sort of... Feeds, it's a, feeds on each other. Yeah, it's a process that feeds each other, I guess. It is interesting, too, because I was sort of thinking about the different cultural aspects you have in there, and you kind of cover the globe. Like, you don't sort of... It's sort of... It's all culture. So you've got, like, jinns, which is, like, from the Middle East, and you also mentioned Damascus, which was, like, in Syria, right? And then you've got mm. uh, Emona Jakru, which is, like, a Japanese It's a demon Japanese spirit. demon, yeah. Right. Uh, so where's our man from Osaka here? He can probably confirm that that's happening. Then you've got, uh, you talk about the Perseus arm and Amaranthine, which is Greek, right? Uh, <laughs> and then you have, you have some Asian music in some of the worlds and you uh, sort of Asian uh, tables and things like that. And then bring up Sanskrit with Samsara, which is uh, one of yeah. your worlds. Wheel of Life. So it, 
So there's Indians. So so it's it's really interesting. Was were you conscious of the fact that you were sort of choosing from mythologies and and cultures all around the world, or that just happened organically? I I guess it just happens organically for me because um, my background from living in Jakarta and in Indonesia, we actually live in, in a very very big melting pot. We, I mean, we have five state religions and. Um, Oh my God, I won't even go into how many different cultures and uh, specific tribes we have in here, but they all have their own regional language and they all have their regional customs. So to me, living in a society that is so diverse that all of these cultures meld together is actually something that's pretty normal. And I love mythology. I love mythology a lot. And oh yeah, especially uh, ghost stories <laughs> from yeah. Asia, I guess, yeah. but... Yeah, it's um I I I I just love taking bits and pieces of this and putting together putting them together because this is what I imagine the the universe will be eventually. We would all mm. bring our diversity and best of our cultures together and it'll just be part of life for everyone. Got it. It's kind of like a Star Trek world or something where each planet has their own culture and brings it in together and all of that kind of stuff. That's really cool. Um so I, I was trying to do again. I was like sleuthing, trying to figure out your whole mythology. I don't know how much of it you have worked out, but it certainly seems like this planet Aramenthine is at the center of things. So Aramenthine, of course, means like uh, to not fade or to last forever, right? So I don't know if there's some kind of like there's a godlike <laughs> secret on Aramenthine. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe you're going to keep that a secret, but. Um, then you know you've got, <laughs> like you said, you've got gods in this world. You've got magical creatures. Uh, and you've got AI that may or may not have gone mad or something like that. We've got an underbelly that hangs out in Samsara, which is like the, uh, uh, the criminal element. And then we've got this mysterious thing called the authority, which is kind of like, maybe it's like the empire in Star Wars, which is kind of keeping everyone in yeah. check. <laughs> uh, how am I doing so far? Is that sort of the layout? And, and you have a yeah, nobility that's, uh, also. That's, because that's pretty close. Yeah. Prometheus arm. Uh, what's the... It, that's a part of your uh, the, the nobility. Uh, so the Perseus arm is actually a real part of our galaxy. It's uh, it's actually it's actually the arm of the galaxy where where our galactic address is located. <laughs> so I figure that I guess uh, the society does dominate the Perseus arm. Um, it would it. be the center of uh, the culture in that universe, but everything else outside that is the Wild West, I guess. So that's where the cosmic horrors are. Uh, yeah, you got very, it pretty close, actually, in your sleuthing. <laughs> and <laughs> I guess amaranthine is um, amaranthine is very special. Um, I, I actually, I, I, I gotta, I gotta, uh, you know, come forward with this. But uh, that that name actually came from Mass Effect. It was one of the planets that uh, mm -hmm. that we had to scan in Mass Effect Two. But I just love that name so much because amaranthine also means uh, to have a red color to be in a mm -hmm. red glow or something like that. And I don't know, it's, I just thought, oh my God, that's a beautiful name. So <laughs> I have adopted it <laughs> oh. as the world where most of these worlds are in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's, and then, so the one other thing I thought was really cool was that you have all these different timelines. You, you talk about like different eras, right? So the first era, there was this terraforming yeah. operation that went wrong, but no one even, it was like hundreds of years ago or something. So no one even remembers that. And then there's like a second era and then you're, we're in the modern verse era, I suppose. Um, so it's, it, I don't know if you are a fan of, uh, uh, you know, the foundation or uh, Isaac Asimov, but that's going to be a big show on, um, on Apple or is it Apple or Amazon? Uh, coming up next year and it they talk oh, sort yeah, of the same thing they, yeah okay yeah. so you do you do you do know the foundation <laughs> oh yeah it's uh yeah, i'm a nerd so <laughs> i'm definitely following these <laughs> welcome to the club welcome to the club welcome to the club oh yeah <laughs> i think everyone and, here and could I, say they're yeah. 30 would everyone here not who you know give me an emoji love if you actually think you may be a little bit nerdy yeah i think most people can probably and they're in VR. They're definitely nerdy. <laughs> There's the biggest nerd there. Hey, Wookie. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Let's let's uh, see if anyone else had any thoughts about the mythology or had any questions about the process before we move on. Uh, Matty boy. Oh, can you hear me? Oh, oh, I just yes, I just want to say like I'm a big fan of Taja. There's, I mean, <laughs> I built worlds. I know the struggle. 
his like he's got like the the probably the most impressive worlds I've seen. My que- my question is like what's the percentage of like Unity to Blender that you kind of use? Oh, yeah. That's a great question, and I love that it's 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 from one world builder to another. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I I could oh, yeah. I, I I I barely have used Blender. I've used it just a little, but I mean I've seen your worlds. And they're great and between blender and unity like well the the percentage i would i would definitely say that it's almost 50 50 uh because i i definitely modeling modeling is a very important part of it and it all happens in blender because i i i've tried to figure out how to model in unity but forget it uh (laughs) i just couldn't figure it out and uh yeah, yeah, it's uh, all all the all the physical detailing and uh, adjusting the curves and the buildings and the scales and the UV mapping all happens in Blender. But then in Unity, uh, there's also a lot of work involved because um, you know the light baking and kind of dividing up where the spaces are going to be bright and where they're going to be darker, reflection probes, the textures. It's I guess it is a it is a balance between them. But I would say if I'm going to have to compare them to Adobe software i would say that blender is like adobe illustrator for me where i generate all the assets and the graphic atomics but then uh unity is kind of like indesign where all the graphics comes together and it's composed as a layout and eventually published but yeah it's it's definitely a balance between the two but designing mostly in blender definitely well thanks for the question maddie boy that's that's great that was a really good question Yeah, it was a very good question. <laughs> it was exactly, a good question. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, uh, all right. So we got. Let's. We're going to go on a little tour here. Before we go on the actual tour with you, I'm going to take you on a little slide tour here, uh, and we're going to start. Uh, we've already talked about the monarchs. We we won't go too much uh, more into that. We you talked about that. I love how you have models in your worlds that show the bigger overall world. Because if you're in the monarch, you would never know what it looks like from the outside. I love that yeah. we can see. <laughs> That, that kind of stuff. And uh, as we're going through warp drive, we can see all of that. How did you come up with that ring drive, which is the uh, Alcubierre ring drive? Is that something yeah, that, that Alcubierre ring drive. It's, it's, um, it's actually an actual uh, concept from a, from a scientist named Alcubierre, of course. And um, I think a couple of years ago, NASA released a 3D rendering of what the concept of an Alcubierre drive would look like, which is mm. basically a ring that uh, that generates the warp bubble around the ship and then, you know, compresses space in front of it and expands it behind it. And um, I just thought, oh my God, that is beautiful. Rings on a ship? I, it just stuck with me. I, I was obsessed with it. I kept drawing spaceships with rings around them because, I don't know, if you, if you consider it the... If it's sort of... Uh, uh, what is the word? I can't English sometimes. But the, <laughs> if if you would if you would think uh, of sailing ships and they have big sails mm, like those masts. clippers from yeah. long ago, and the masts and the sails and everything. I mean, you know, then I would think of ships in that era. They would have rings instead, and that would be kind of like the defining characteristics. And they could be rings, they could be hexagonal, or they could be triangular. But that same kind of design language all exists in that world because that is basically the the primary mode of faster than light travel. And I just thought, oh, it's it's just beautiful. <laughs> I just love rings. Totally. Well, and I guess from the, my world builder days, people can tell that because I kept using that ring asset everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, well, it's definitely worth it. So, for by the way, if anyone's listening to this on the podcast. Uh, you can. I'm going to be posting all of these slides on Instagram at the Simulation Nation uh, Instagram, and we're also going to be having it on YouTube, so uh, you can see uh, the visuals on YouTube. But um, uh, let's keep going here. So this is the Hollow Suite, which I assume is like the Star Trek holodeck. Where, is yeah. that right? Where we're um, so that's like the all yep. space of the future. Yeah, it's, it's it's really meta because you have a simulation within a simulation, right? <laughs> And uh, I steal a lot of ideas from Star Trek. Just, you know, keep this between us. Oh, <laughs> got some Trekkies but yeah, out there. it's got some Trekkies out there. But yeah, it's um, I mean, space travel is something that's uh, romanticized, but it is actually it, it must be a very stressful thing because you're surrounded in black 
most of the time. And you're going to need hollow suites like these for people to escape and to go into and just kind of enjoy things and, you know, without a headset sometimes. So you can bring a drink or two in there. But yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, these pictures definitely do not do it justice. I mean, this is like awfully, we've crushed a beautiful 3D world that's moving and has fish floating in it and has waving walls like you're underwater and we've crushed it into this 2D image. So please go check out these worlds. Uh, if you're listening to this, go into all space and check out these worlds because it's definitely uh, worth it. And we're not giving them justice. All right, so we're going to go to the Caldera Guard. We're going to take a little slight pit stop because I know that the Monarch is on its way to Ar Aramithrine. Aramithrine, yeah. Amarith. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. But we're going to take a slight detour because I just love uh, this world here. Which uh, So we're going to be the Xeno archaeologists and we're going to uh, pick your brain and figure out uh, what the idea was behind this. This is in a volcano that's now it's filled a, with yeah. snow. It's a it's an, an extinct volcano, a caldera, and um, well, basically, it's a monument for one of the first terraforming sites on that specific planet. But I guess the idea for this was that I'm I'm really obsessed with public spaces, uh, parks, monuments, or you know, just large buildings where people come together and they just get lost in, or they meet other people and they talk, and. Um, I thought it was uh, it, it was very interesting designing this because when you're designing a monument, there's a lot of non-functional space. Uh, I mean, the tall tower doesn't really house anything, but it's actually there just to build an emotion as soon as you walk into it. And um, there's not even any music in this world. It's mostly just wind, water sounds, and I guess Tibetan singing bowls somewhere. But I I was kind of toying around with the idea of quiet world that was vast and big enough for people to just get lost in. And, you know, if they want to be alone with their thoughts and stuff and yeah, it's, um, I'm really proud of this one. <laughs> one of the really cool things uh, that I liked about this world is that you can remove megaphone and you can remove user tracking features. You really can yes. go in there to be alone. You really can go in yes. there to escape it all and have a moment of peace. I just think that's so cool that you're using like, meta elements of alt space to be able to uh as tools in your tool belt to be able to create a space that represents meditation and i just think that's so great yeah i mean um i guess in design if you have negative space uh, me removing the megaphone and the tracking features i guess in a way is actually giving a social negative space because sometimes people do need distance from each other from time to time and yeah this is um Yep. <laughs> so Absolutely. when you tell people to get lost, tell them to get lost here because they really will get lost. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is just another one of your beautiful angles. I'm, I, I, I'm not going to, I can't, I could just go on and on about these, but this is just another gorgeous angle of uh, sort of just very meditative, very peaceful. Um, so it's, it's beautiful. But unfortunately, we're going to have to keep rolling along on our uh, journey across the verse here because we'll be here all day if we don't into i think my original favorite <laughs> yeah, the, the title, title house. house oh my god this place yeah. if, I, if you ever start building <laughs> these in the desert in palm springs or something like that i want a title house so i'm i'm first i got first dibs <laughs> oh yeah this is this is definitely my dream house it, it has no neighbors <laughs> <laughs> any neighbors are miles away it's the ultimate introvert's house and yeah it's uh this was is this the second is this the second? I oh my god! This is one of the early ones. This is in the this is in the Scarlet Monarch generation, and mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah, it's uh, it's the first time that I actually just built a house. I promised myself that I was going to make something small this time. Well, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> uh, it it was it was a joy to build this. Actually, it was. Um, I guess this one solidified the style at the end right. because then um aside from the angular shapes there are curves now suddenly included and glass and the reflections and everything and this is also where um, those little cars came in because uh actually i built those while i was building the scarlet monarch because i was distracted a lot at the time and of course what kind of uh, nerd wouldn't start making flying cars right so <laughs> yeah i had them parked outside well, I think we should uh, step inside. What do you think, people? Should we step inside here? Step inside the title house? Uh, yes, here we go. 
Here's the inside. Look at that. Look at those floors. They have such a sheen <laughs> on them. That's pretty incredible. It's just, again, the, the curves, uh, the glass, um, just, just beautiful design. Um, you, can't, you can't go into one of your worlds and know that you're not some kind of a designer out in the real world because um, it's just gorgeous every, every place you look. So, And of course, maybe the coolest thing about this world is that it changes from day to night. You can go into another world that is the night version of the same world, and you've got this incredible moon uh, overhead. What made you come up with the idea of doing both a night and a day? I I guess I was toying around with... Um, I, I made a second instance of the scene in Unity, and I toyed around with having a night skybox, and I found this beautiful one with a moon overhead, and I just put it there, and I thought, oh my god, this one needs to happen. And, and I'm glad I did. As soon as I put it in there... Um, it just has a completely different character. It has a completely different emotion tied into it. And, um, oh yeah, it was, it was definitely, it, it needed to happen. It just needed to happen. And, uh, and, yeah, the water recedes at night. So then it becomes a desert <laughs> in the evening. Which is such a cool idea. Cause you hear the waves lapping up against the house in the daytime. And then at the night it, it recedes and it's just, it's just quiet and you hear wind or something like that. So yeah, was that just something you were playing around with? and and how did that come about? I don't know. It's just that I thought that um, at first it was just a desert. Then I thought, ah, I love water. You know, I needed to have it in there. But then, you know, the thought came, huh, what if it's a tidal desert? You know, it, this weird natural phenomenon where a desert can turn into a shallow ocean in the daytime, but goes back into a desert in the evening. And I don't know if things like that exist in the real world. I mean, in smaller scale, yeah, but I just thought, you know, I mean, we're in VR and like we're doing this in a different planet. It doesn't exist on Earth. So why not make some strange weather phenomena? Right. It's an incredible idea. Uh, we're going to keep our, <laughs> our tour through the verse going here to the Madonna Lounge. Am I saying that right? This is the club. Madonna the Lounge, under, yeah. The, la the, the underground, the seedy underbelly might need to do their uh, black market dealings and things like that. And it's also an Araminthine, right? Yeah, it's also an amaranthine, and um, I guess this would be like the <laughs> the the Ayana Club in Bali, but in <laughs> in mm. VR in another planet. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it seems to be everybody's favorite. Um, mm. And um, <laughs> I got to say that I built this world while I was in love, so <laughs> I guess uh, it shows. <laughs> Uh, and see, uh, I'm not like, going to oh. get into details. I'm not going to get into details <laughs> on that, but <laughs> it's, uh, oh yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely a special one because, um, this was kind of built in a phase where I've got my workflow going really well already. And I've kind of gotten into the rhythm of how I build world. And, um, uh, at first when I put the first prototype in here, people thought it was a boat. <laughs> because it was shaped that way but i guess i i just love um uh, swooping and aerodynamic lines on buildings but but it really evolved it really evolved um and at first it was actually set in the daytime but then and i took a look at it and i thought uh, you know what i think an evening setting would be great again for this one and and it really worked. It really worked. And and then afterwards, the corals came in, and I put the corals in drag because you know they needed to be glittery and red, and you know, amaranthine because the color red and everything. And and it just it just evolved on its own. It took its own life. Uh, I mean, it took a life of it of its own, and um, it it just evolved. It just evolved. And I was only guiding the week. You know, it's. Uh, yeah, I'm. I guess I'd love to do that. <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. I can't English again. <laughs> yeah, sorry. When we go on his tour, you guys are going to have to get the secrets of his love story out of him here. Um, it reminds no! you, know, if, you ever, if, you're a, if you're a Star Wars fan, it kind of reminds me of the the, the the lounge they go to in Solo, like that upscale yeah. barge, like longer like the the skiff of Jabba the Hutt. It's now like these upscale barges and things like. It kind of reminded me of that. So the interior is uh, also lots of moving uh, textures and moving lights. Uh, really beautiful. There's also like a Bjork-like soundtrack. Um, how did you? Where do you find the musicians for uh, all your worlds? Have really interesting music. <laughs> well, um, so I have a very interesting Spotify algorithm, I guess, <laughs> and a very diverse 
uh, taste in music. So Spotify just keeps recommending me all these weird songs and I listen to them and, oh, okay, this is interesting. And I guess the uh, Hong Kong Express was an artist that, um, that was really interesting to me because they, they're very synth, but they also have a lot of Asian sounds incorporated into it. And um, I don't know, it just resonated with me. And this song in particular was titled Virtual Sunset. I thought, oh my God, how appropriate is that? <laughs> so yeah. it had to be the soundtrack for the Madonna Lounge. Perfect. Got it. All right. So the last stop on our uh, slide tour here is, uh, of course, the Sardarnic Mirror, which is nah. your hub station. The hub, spa um, the hub this space, yeah. The hub space is super cool. Of course, it's it's sort of be it's in orbit and it's in the center of Samsara, which is a orbiting ring around the uh, Sardonic Mirror, right? And that's sort of the underbelly again of your criminal element, and it can zap away whenever the authority are on their tail, basically. So that's yeah, so <laughs> it's the ultimate smuggler city. Don't come to Samsara; we'll come to you. <laughs> And so is that how, why you called it sardonic mirror? Because it's sort of the underbelly of things and it's, it's sort of darkly satirical or why, why the title? Where'd that come from? It's, um, the, the title actually came after I built the, the station. The station itself was called Samsara at first because I, I just love the idea of the wheel of life. And um, I guess, you know, a ring station is actually an appropriate name. To, uh, it would be an appropriate name for a ring station to have. But the sardonic mirror actually came after the world was completed and I stood in there and I looked and, uh, because I can be a very sardonic person as well. I can laugh very cruelly, but the problem is that I often do it to myself, you know, imposter syndrome, negativity, and you know, all that stuff. We all have that. And I thought, huh, that's a sardonic mirror because you're laughing cruelly at yourself or being ironic, but not in a nice way. But then I thought, you know what? That name is. Very interesting. And I decided to keep it because it's kind of like a self-reminder not to be that way yourself. Um, I also love your, these little miniatures that you've got here, these little sort of holographic miniatures, and then they all connect to a portal that you can then go into those worlds. That's such yeah. a cool <laughs> idea. Sort of a, yeah. a sort of small representation of the world. That's great. That's the graphic design side of me. I, <laughs> I just thought, oh, okay, I'm going to make a hub space, but I don't want to, you know, like have a room and drop all the portals everywhere. And I thought, okay, how do I, how do I make this presentable? And I thought, okay, how about make icon versions of these worlds and just display them on little proper pedestals. It's, it's sort of like presentation because I guess in Indonesia, we're very big on presentation. Uh, the guest is always King. So, you know, it has to be presented in a very formal and very, very uh, proper way to someone. And yeah, so that was the idea to put the worlds on a pedestal as hologram statues. The other thing that's cool in this world is that you can you have an MRE that's like a ring that goes on your finger. Ah, and that's you can, James. Yep. That's, so tell us who's James and what's that about? Uh, James is a James here? scary person <laughs> in all space who is a wizard with shaders and MREs. I have no idea how he does it, but I'm assuming it's black magic. But he is, uh, yeah, he's, he's a wunderkind. Oh my God. And he made those rings so that basically, you know, rather than having the megaphone on in the world where, you know, people are calling each other and, uh, getting to turn it off while they're flirting in public <laughs> with me, they're just kind of like, should I tell them? But it's getting juicy. But, you know, <laughs> these rings though, they, they helped, uh, they help people find each other if you click their name. On it and it shoots a beam of light that points you to the direction of where the person is which i thought oh my god this is beautiful he he has a poetic side who would have known but yeah <laughs> it's it's such a beautiful little mre that's great also that you are able to tap into the community here and collaborate with other people who have uh different specialties and, and sort of bring it all together that's one of the greatest things about this all the oh yeah there, there are a lot of talented people in here and they all have their own thing going on so yeah definitely absolutely there's no shortage take, of uh, talent in here take, i'll pick a, a question here about uh the worlds and then uh we'll jump to our last section which is uh just the, the future so you know you have such uh, an incredible <laughs> style 
where uh, I, I always love to ask where you think VR is headed, where you think space is headed. Uh, where VR is headed? Oh, wow. I mean, I, I had this discussion with with a friend of mine here as well. And um, we're, we're actually pioneers. We're in uncharted territory. Nobody has written the book about um, how societies will evolve in VR because let's face it, we are a society. This is actually a society. And um, I'm not going to go into the technology because I'm sure that it's going to jump leaps and bounds uh, later on in the future. But I'm a lot more interested about the human aspect of it. How are people going to connect with each other? And, uh, you know, how bonds are going to be formed here? Because it, a lot of people are actually falling in love in here, which is a surprise. Oh, okay. <laughs> it is happening. And and how what, how do, what happens, you know, after that? Or, you know, what will societies be later on? Is it going to be policed even further? Are local governments going to start banning certain VR platforms because there's too much of a free exchange of ideas that they think are dangerous or inappropriate or whatever? But we are definitely the pioneers, and this is an uncharted territory. For now, um, I guess we're still free, and we can, we can freely be ourselves in here. But I guess the future of VR, I'm just worried about how we can protect those rights so we can still be free while we're in here. It's true, because the, if you remember back in the 90s, it, the, the dream of the Internet was that it was going to be this completely open world where everything goes and sort of uh, controlled a little bit like by Google, Apple, Facebook. Like there's like a few companies that have these monopolies in different parts of the Internet that kind of control uh, speech and limit speech and things like that. So it is very interesting. Uh, hopefully we can keep purity of VR, or at least find areas of purity where maybe some places will be more corporate and controlled and some won't be. But it's very true. So where do you see yourself? What's the future of your the verse, uh, your collection of worlds? You're just going to keep building them out? And what do you have a, a bigger overall plan? For now, uh, my stance on things is that I will just let I will let it evolve on its own. Um, I guess because again, uh, with 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 storytelling and world building, eventually the characters and the worlds will start writing themselves. And I just manifest them into what they would look like in VR. And I, I don't really have a specific plan on which direction it's going to go. But um, I mean, expect different, more different places, uh, city planets, I guess. <laughs> Little small boats in a circular ocean or something. But I mean, I... I just love all of those um, old 60s sci-fi novel covers. You know, they, they were really wild and they were so obsessed with space back then. But yeah, I mean, there will be, I, I guess I will see where it goes, but I will definitely try to make things interesting. <laughs> That's all I can say, I guess. Well, are you taking requests? Because I have a few. Uh, I have a few requests. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't use this platform for for this, I don't know what I could use it for. Okay, so here's my here's my top three that I would love to see in your verse. Right, I would love to see uh, inside Simsara, like the actual uh, ring. Like, what's going on with those ring. criminals? I want to know what's going on with those criminals. I want to see. I would love to see. You know, you talk about Xeno archaeologists who go around and find these terraforming. Uh, places i would love to see mm. a xeno archaeologist headquarters with all of the artifacts that they found on all the other worlds that would be pretty dope um and i think maybe like a dive bar where the speedy side but like the like low down kind of like you might get shot kind of things going on so Mos Eisley <laughs> in samsara yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so that that is uh those as i was going through the world I was like oh wouldn't this be cool wouldn't that be cool um but there's so many more uh i would love to see so uh yeah can't wait to see what you come up with um all right so we got a few questions here let's take a few questions and then uh then we'll hop into our world tour so uh bravikston hey, hey you? yeah oh. you got a you got a great voice for <laughs> for audio thank you um Yo, what you do, there's no words to explain, you know, so I know it's your brain is doing this, you know, it's not just the technology. So anybody jumping into it, they can, all right, let me put a year in Blender and I'm going to be able to do this. Not necessary to say, but, you know, we talked before about your background and, you know, the graphic design and all of that. Plus, you were born a talented person and 
but you can, you know, people can learn, people can learn. Anyway, my question is, so before Blender, did you, did you dabble around in any other uh, 3D software as far as the modeling goes um, before Blender? Second part of that question is, what made you stick with Blender if you did use other software before? Thank you. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so before Blender, I actually dabbled in Fusion 360 and Chia 3D on the Mac. But the thing was, um, I was really bad at it. <laughs> I mean, everything I made probably had a million polygons on it because it was using this kind of, um, it, it was a modeling workflow that's used for rendering. Uh, so everything is very smooth and stuff, probably good for 3D printing. But the reason why I stayed with Blender was that, um, first is free. I'm, I'm really cheap. And, uh, <laughs> and second, because it's so open source that there are a lot of people sharing their skills online and there's a lot of tutorials, uh, Blender Guru, Josh Gambrell, definitely my go-tos to learn that. And I have so much control about how detailed an asset can be when I put it in here, because, um, I guess I, I, I just stubbornly think that, you know, whatever I build and I put in here, it has to be able to work on a quest one somewhat, um, failing miserably at that in some places, but I'm trying, but yeah, it's, uh, I stuck with blender because, um, I, I got really comfortable with it actually more than fusion 360 or cheetah 3d for that matter. And it's such a powerful tool. It's such a powerful tool. Thanks for the question. Uh, Saint that was a really good one. Thank you. So for starters, huge fan. I've, I've actually seen your, your worlds and, uh, actually marched people through them and I, I love them. I love your space. Um, oh, you thank mentioned you. that you, you're welcome. You have a very good talented. You're very, very talented. Um, you mentioned there that you were a good fan of Blade Runner and, uh, Philip K and oh, yeah. he, you know, he publicly admitted he had a, a large conference and he said that, uh, he was a, reincarnated spirit from another planet from a different time. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. But that's, that's <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah that, that was the inspiration for Blade Runner. He actually admitted publicly that he was a reincarnated spirit from a different planet from a different time. No, whatever. My uh, either that or is, he's really trolling his fans, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, my question is, he was very dystopian as far as his prediction of the future. And my question to mm. you is, from your perspective, you seem to have a lot of uh, very varied, you know, talents. Do you see a dystopian future or do you see a peaceful future if you could predict, you know, that? Future? Oh, yeah. As far as your I, mythology I, mm. is concerned, as far as what you've set up here, it's brilliant and I love it. But. If you could, you know, pinpoint that dystopian or peaceful, what, what do you think? That, that is a, that is, yeah, that is a good question, but it's also a very tricky mm -hmm. one because mm -hmm. I, I actually think we do live in a dystopia right now. We, we actually have little dictatorships, um, people's Republic of China, where you have that credit system and people there in your monitored constantly everywhere based on your, based on your behavior or what are your purchase choices, you get demerits or merits. But, you know, in other places in the world, um, there are people fighting basic human rights for other people where other parts of the world they're not. So I don't know if the world can actually be clear cut as a dystopian or a utopia, which, well, a utopia can't exist, I guess. But I always think that there's always a balance between, I don't know, for lack of a better words, good and evil. And um, through era to era... I guess we'll always have that pull between what makes a dystopia and what could make something that is closer to a utopia or an idyllic world. Um, but I guess, I don't know. I, I, I am a big fan of Blade Runner and Philip K. Dick because of the visual style and, you know, how interesting it is to have societies in a cyberpunk setting like that. And you have artificial humans that are basically second class citizens or a slave class. But then I'm also a big fan of Star Trek where it's a post scarcity society and you know everybody is in the pursuit of bettering themselves and basically exploration but you know even star trek has their seedy and dark sides as well in there so i guess to answer the question in a very short way i 
think that the world will still try to keep a balance between the two. The future definitely will have a balance. Or at least we have to try to. We have to try to keep that balance in check. Really true. It's a, it's a, it's a so wise that, answer. Because that made sense, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, sense, a, it's, right? A, it's, it's a really wise answer because you're never going to get the utopia or full dystopia. You're going to have a mix. So it's, it's probably, uh, probably true. Um, yeah. Cool. Thanks for the question, uh, St. Justin. That's interesting. Uh, all right, Maddie boy, let's try again. Well, I've got the question that's on everybody, every world builder's mind. How are you dealing with the 2020 unit? <laughs> oh wow let me tell you where do i begin you got time <laughs> oh my god i've been spending all week on I, get that. I am i am just marching through it i'm just marching through it you know it's just you know what um but, but because i come from a graphic design background we always get that eventually even when something is in a final artwork stage some system might have changed or, you know, suddenly a deal with the billboard vendor would say, oh, you know, you can't get this one. You have to put it in a different dimension or something. So I have to go back and revise everything. So when I got the update, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> but, but then I thought, eh, you know, I've, yeah. eh, you know, you just got to do it. You just got to go through it and don't be angry about yeah. it because there's no point in getting angry with it. Unity, unity is not going to care if you're going to cry or, you know, be angry exactly. or lie down in a fetal position on the floor yelling. It's just going to be <laughs> unity. So you're just going to yeah. have to grab it by the horns and Grinning slap there. that bitch. You know, it's just ah, unity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every world builder's love and hate relationship. Booyah. <laughs> 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 Booyah. Thanks, Patty. Yes, it is. Um, out everyone's mind for just, good reason. Just march through. Just march through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's take one more uh, and then we'll close it out here. Drop. What you got for us? All right, I just had the question that you mentioned that you like Blender because it was open source and the amount of um, support that you can actually get from the community. What I noticed in alt space is like, say, for instance, with MRE development and things of that nature. Uh, People tend to keep their source very closed. How do you feel about that? And oh, you mean an MRE? Well, uh, first of all, MREs are black magic to me. I <laughs> it still it, it still doesn't make sense to me the same way that how microwaves work and how motorcycles can stay <laughs> upright when people are riding them. But I I'm not sure how I can answer that question. But um, I guess if I do get into MREs, I would definitely model them in Blender. But about people keeping their sources close uh, to each their own. I mean, again, back from a background in the creative industry, we will definitely have people that um, that have spent ridiculous amounts of man hours developing a, a certain a certain object or you know a certain MRE and how it will work. And of course, it's going to be it, it's going to be. Really annoying if somebody just um, rips that and <laughs> basically copies and pastes it on something else. But I guess uh, the answer to that would be the short question. I would say, well, to each their own. If they want to keep their sources close, then that's fine. All right. Cool. Um, so uh, before we head off onto our world tour here, how can people get in touch with you out in the real world? Uh, I mean, I'm on the Allspace Discord, so <laughs> I'm pretty much in there. People, people find me. So <laughs> they definitely find me. <laughs> Got it. So yeah, I'm oh, definitely in the right. Discord. You guys ready for the tour? See some emojis here. With, yes, Matty boy's ready. Well, I we got one more, one more request for you, Taijusuko. We got to turn around here, and while everyone's doing the emojis, we got to take a selfie. Uh, so there you can you can uh, okay. this uh, you can put this on your so wall face and this side. Okay. Face this side, and we'll take a selfie. Everyone, give him some love back right. there, and maybe uh, we'll stand on the put X. it up on okay. the, <laughs> the X. Put a put it on a, a wall in the. Right, here we go. Three, okay. two, one. Yeah. I'm oh, my it's, it's out. a little. It's a li <laughs> one more. One more. One more. Yeah. Three, two, one. Jeez. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> very, very cool. All right. Well, let's uh, close it out here. 
Uh, so uh, thank you for teleporting into this Worldcast of Simulation Nation, whether you're with us in virtual reality or 2D or listening to the podcast a week from now on Spotify or iTunes. Remember to subscribe to our Instagram at The Simulation Nation, Twitter at SimNationVR, Facebook and Discord, and join us next week for our talk with Alex Aziz, founder of Biohackers VR. As for now, we are off to explore Araminthine and Samsara with a bunch of other space pirates here and Xeno archaeologists. If you're not coming with us, then see you next time and stay plugged, my friends.